Good morning. I'm going to be reading from Luke 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel of Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Well, good morning. morning. What a beautiful reading that is. Thanks to the ladies here in the auditorium and the ladies in the venue for reading today. Let's pray as we get started. Father, I'm really thankful for your word. Really grateful that you chose to reveal yourself to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Really thankful for this beautiful Advent story, which is true, that happened in history, that miraculously you sent an angel to whisper to a young maiden, and she said yes. 
She was bold and she was courageous. She was fearless. And uh, what a profound example she is for us. We thank you, Lord, for the beauty of the season. We thank you, Lord, for the beauty of this church that we can gather together here in peace to worship you. Thank you for this entire church family, both here in this room, in the venue, and watching online. Grateful for each and every one. I'm particularly touched this morning, Lord, by the story of Steve and Kara Shadig, and I praise you, God, for their testimony. Thank you for their faith. Thank you for their courage. Thank you for their great example for all of us. And I praise you, God, for the generosity of this church that has been extended so beautifully to them and to so many others. Lord, our heart's desire is simply to reflect you and your great love. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy and your grace, your kindness to us. Now lead us as we consider these beautiful words of Scripture. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Well, it's a beautiful, beautiful reading, a glorious passage. I pray that it's, um, you know, frequency for you of returning to it every year doesn't lose its power because it's, it's gorgeous and it's got great power for us today. Uh, fear not, be not afraid. Those are good words. My, my plan was... Um, I tend to be really planned out in life. It's good and it's bad. <laughs> and my plan was several months ago to do a completely different sermon series than what we're going to start today. Um, and I was pretty excited for that one. But two weeks ago, I just wasn't feeling it anymore, and so I tossed it. And I really felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to do something different related to something that we see in the Christmas narrative again and again, which is how the Christmas narrative collides with fear. And fear is just a huge common experience for all of us right now, isn't it? Um, my guess would be whether you've been in church for decades or you're brand new here this morning, wherever you are spiritually, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're just asking questions and you're not sure what to believe about God, my guess is no matter who you are today, your fears have increased in 2020. In some way, in sh some shape, some form, they, they've increased. And so we're going to spend a few weeks talking about uh, our fears of the future and our fears of rejection, fear of men and women, fears of this world and the ugliness in this world. And... Um, We'll see what the Holy Spirit does through it, okay? Uh, Wikipedia defines fear like this. It's an emotion that is endured by perceived danger or threat, which causes physiological and behavioral changes such as fleeing, hiding, or freezing. A physiological response to perceived threat which causes behavioral changes, such as fleeing or hiding or just getting stuck, freezing up. Again, we all have those experiences 
in one way or another, and we're going to unpack different kinds of fears a bit today. But our fears have been put on steroids in 2020. Now, I think back to early March when we started to see what was happening with coronavirus, particularly in New York, and we didn't know much about it. And I started to go back to studies that I had done in previous years about previous plagues. And that's what I was thinking about. I was starting to do calculus in my mind while I was trying to sleep about how many funerals I would be doing. We just didn't know at that time. We've learned, fortunately, that the infection mortality rate is very, very low with this, even as the infection rate is extremely high. But that's what I was fearing back then. For many of us today, there's all different kinds of fears in 2020. There have been huge political fears across this year. There's been fears of Republicans and fears of Democrats. There's been fears of conspiracy theories. And there's been great fears which have been materialized for many of us related to the economy, haven't there? And there's been fears among some of us that maybe I'm not fearful enough. Maybe my husband isn't fearful enough. You should be more fearful. No. Thank you. <laughs> There's been fears in many sectors of our country related to natural disasters. Our country has experienced some of the very worst fires and hurricanes in national history in 2020. There's been fears related to growing racial tension in our country. There's been fears, as a friend told me, of Murphy's Law. Like, whatever could go wrong in 2020 will go wrong in 2020. That's the fear. And there's been legitimate fears that many of us ha have had about, will I get to see my elderly parents again? Will I get to see my grandparents again? When will I get to see my grandkids? Those are all legitimate fears that we've experienced this year. There's fear that this isn't going to end, whatever this is. Fear that this world will never be the same. The church will never be the same. There's fears of loss of religious liberty and fears of loss of personal liberty. There's even this heightened fear of my neighbor these days. As battle lines have been drawn higher and higher, and we feel for some reason this greater level of fear for anyone who is different. Maybe most of all is the growing fear of death. All of this relates to a fear of the unknown. We hate uncertainty. We want to be in control, and we feel a great deal of trauma, of fleeing, of freezing, of hiding, when we get into this place where it just feels like all of the world is unknown right now. It's all so uncertain. But what I want to tell you in this series, what we want to tell you over these next few weeks is that... The uncertainty that fear produces can be the occasion for our trust in God to grow. It actually can be. It's when we're not sure what is to come, when we're locked in some of the fear of the unknown, that we have an occasion to grow our trust in God. This right now, my friends, can be an occasion for our spiritual growth, for greater spiritual transformation than perhaps Many of us have had for years. When we lose our illusions 
of being in control. And they're only illusions in the first place, right? When we lose our illusions of being in control, that's when our trust in the God who actually is in charge can really grow. Now again, at the outset of this series, let's just all admit that every single one of us dabble in fear from time to time. Some of us just specialize in it. I mean, some of y'all got degrees in fear. And friends, if you specialize in fear, if you got a degree in fear, the Bible is the book for you. Because the Bible talks about fear so much, it's ridiculous. Hundreds and hundreds of times, to my count, 360 times, depending on your translation, the Bible says either, be not afraid, or fear not. 360 times. Let me give you just a little sampling here from the scriptures. We can't do justice to it, but if you're struggling with fear, you might return to these passages and look up a whole bunch of others through an online or a physical concordance later on today. God said to Abram, do not be afraid, Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward, so don't be afraid. I'm your shield. Or how about this one that God said repeatedly to Moses? Like Moses, if there was ever a strong man, he was an abolitionist. And yet he had to be told by God repeatedly, do not be afraid, the Lord your God himself will fight for you. Don't be afraid, Moses, God's going to fight for you. Or King David, who was a great warrior, and yet if you read the Psalms, you know he wrestled with fears. King David said this, even though I walk. How does it go? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How does it go? Come on. I will fear no evil. Because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. I walk through the valley. But you're with me. You rod and your staff, they comfort me. Another time, King David put it this way, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. You got that testimony? Have you written that testimony down? You sought the Lord and he answered you and he delivered you from your fears in a moment. It will motivate you to seek him again when you feel fear again if you keep a record of that testimony. Or how about this one? One of my favorites from King David. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Not if, when. When I'm afraid, I go back to you, I put my trust in you, and then my fears find their proper place. One more from the New Testament, but before we move on, the author of Hebrews says, we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Do you believe that? The Lord is my helper. I need not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Once again, faith and fear collide in the Christmas story. Those are from other places in the scriptures, not in the Christmas story. But faith and fear collide specifically in the Christmas story. There's four different times in the birth narratives that the angels appear to shepherds, to Zechariah, to Joseph, and to Mary on four occasions. And they say the same words in each of these occasions. What were they, remember? Fear not. Don't be afraid. 
Fear not. The sermon this morning is titled, Fear God Only. Fear God Only. Someone say that with me. Fear God Only. I actually believe that that is possible. I actually believe that's possible. That you could fear God only. That I could fear God only. And I believe that Mary has a story here today that can help show us the way. She is a valiant, courageous woman, and she can help show us the way to fear him alone. Let me reset what we just read. Uh, She was this beautiful, chaste, betrothed, young teenage girl. And of course, betrothal is kind of like our modern engagement and our modern marriage. So they are firmly committed to each other. Mary and Joseph are committed to each other, but they're not yet living together. They're living in this stage called betrothal where she lives with her parents and he lives with his parents. They haven't consummated their marriage, but they are legally bound to one another. So she's never been with him. They're not living in the same home together. And she's this betrothed, young, chaste, teenage girl. And an angel of God comes to her with the statement, don't be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor with God. You will be found with child. And there's this immaculate conception going on. And that's not just any child. He will be called son of the most high God. And he will reign over the descendants of Judah. And she's a faithful Hebrew woman, a Jewish woman, so she's circling in her mind. She's hearing Messiah language. She's hearing from this angel, Messiah is in my belly. The Son of God is in me. You will raise Mary, the Son of God, but don't be afraid. Yeah, yeah. Don't be afraid, Mary. Sure, like why would a pregnant, unwed, dirt-poor teenage girl from a culture which prescribes stoning for adultery, be afraid. This story in Luke tells us that she was greatly troubled. She was overwhelmed in that moment. She experienced some fear in that moment. She was greatly troubled. But in that moment, she responds, after being greatly troubled, we don't know how long it was, and she's interacting well with the angel angel Gabriel, And she goes back through her Hebrew history, through her Jewish history, uh, through the Bible verses that she had been swimming in in her youth, and she responds with an understanding that Messiah was going to come through the Jewish people, and she says, yes. Yes. She says, may it be to me according to your word, O God, Luke 1.38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. In courage and obedience, she says, Lord, may it be to me according to your word. It's an amazing response. Truly, underneath the the soft-skinned Middle Eastern veneer that we see of Mary in all of her nativity scenes, in which we see her as a, a young maiden who's swept up in these cosmic events, and it's in one way, right to see Mary that way. She's this young, innocent girl who's just in over her heel. She's way beyond her depth. She's that. But at the same time, she's bold, and she's strong, and she's courageous. And she says to the angel, yeah, God calls, and I say yes. Like, no matter how great the call, 
no matter how much my knees are buckling right now, I am saying yes to his call on my life. When her life was spinning out of control, it is this proper fear of God, a reverence for God that helped her overcome her very natural and expected human fears. Here's the simple truth. Our fears are natural, but they're not neutral. Your fears are natural, but they are not neutral. And the good news is God does not want us to be crippled by our very natural fears. Again, they are to be expected, but we know they're not neutral, are they? They cripple us. Watch this as you're following along your outline. Our fears are awful. Our fears are awful when our God is small. Here's the simple truth. When your God is small, your fears get really awful related to what is coming in life, what you're dealing with right now. When you don't have a very big portrait of God right now, then your fears become awful and all-encompassing, full of awe. They become so enormous, you cannot see the forest through the trees. Just stick with me as I try to explain different kinds of fear, because there are good God-given fears, and then there's these other kinds of fear that become awful, and they diminish God in our minds. Now, there's a physiological fear that God has given all, all of us. It's kind of the natural fight or flight response that we all naturally have, that if you were in a burning building, something would go off in your mind that triggers you to run. And that's a wise fear that God has given in his common grace to all of us. You see a toddler fall into a pool, you respond with this fight or flight response and you go rush to that toddler and you pull that toddler out of the, tool, out of the pool. That's a God-given, fear-induced response. We're grateful that God has given us that proper response to danger. That's not what I'm talking about. Physiological fear is a good thing that we all have. Nor am I talking today about caution. Caution is a really, really good thing, though it is also from God. We are cautious with our finances, right? We choose prudent financial planning. That's wisdom. We choose to wear our safety belts in the car. We choose to lock our doors at night. We choose to eat vegetables during December when we would like to just feast on sugar cookies all month. Like, this is just wisdom. This is wise caution. That's not fear. That's wisdom. But what we're living with today, what many of us are experiencing today, are these awful fears which are putting some of us in a place of ongoing trauma, of always, hear me now, always being in a fight or flight response, which is awful for our mental health. It's not sustainable. 
My mom sent me a note a couple weeks ago as she was shopping in King Supers, which is her local grocery store. She and my dad live just north of Denver, and she sent me this note. She said, early this morning during the senior shopping hours at King Supers, when dad and I were in the store getting our essentials, an emergency public safety alert sounded on all shoppers' phones and in the PA system at the same time. It stated that we are at a quote, severe risk of deadly COVID-19, use caution as you shop. (laughs) Do you want to know what I think about that? (laughs) Yeah, it is fear-mongering. That's like a tornado siren going off again and again and again every single time you go in the store. I mean, we're not made to live like that. We're not made by God to live in this state of ongoing trauma where we're always triggering this fight or flight response. And those kinds of fears can devastate us. What we have right now, you gotta understand, this is why I rail against television so much. Some of you guys think I'm so prude. Eh, That's all right, I don't care. I rail against it so much because they're constantly fear-mongering. Constant. And all politicians have some political angle to make you more fearful. And now you go in the grocery store and you feel this barrage of fear. That stuff can devastate us emotionally. Those kinds of fears can be so awful that God comparatively can get small. You've been in there that your fears are so great that God gets small. It's hard for you even to think of God because your fears are so all-encompassing. I mean, I think it's possible that Mary had some of this in the moment that angel Gabriel comes to her. It would have been, like, she's going to have some fears for her physical health She is probably 15 years old in a third world country where a mother's mortality rate in giving birth was very high, particularly as a 15-year-old girl. She would have some understandable fears related to her physical health. Okay, she would have had fears of a divorce from Joseph. She would have had fears of rejection from her family because it looks like she committed adultery here before she has even consummated marriage. It looks like she's committed adult. She has fear of rejection from her little village. What if I will have to go around for the rest of my life with a scarlet letter A over my chest starting at the age of 15? Her fears would be devastating. She was greatly troubled. And yet Mary had this choice in that moment to be overwhelmed by those fears or to boldly trust in God and then to keep moving in spite of her fears. And she felt those fears, but she didn't allow those fears to become so awful that she couldn't trust God. And so what she did instead was she saw those obstacles and then she looked at God and she said, may it be unto me according to your word, O God, I am choosing to trust in my awesome God. And therefore, my fears get small. 
When your fears are awesome, when your fears are awful, God is small. But when God is awesome, write this down, when God is awesome, your fears get small. When God is awesome, your fears get small. And this is how a wonderful little high school sophomore can lead us. She shows us the way here. And her mind is just steeped in the scriptures. And because her mind is steeped in the scriptures from her youth, after she gets through this little narrative, well, with the angel Gabriel, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And then out of visiting her cousin Elizabeth, she begins to to worship God in song. She writes this song or she sings this song. And the historian Luke records it. And Mary said, verse, soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy, holy, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who who fear him. His mercy extends. His generosity extends to those who tremble before him. From generation to generation, he's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their throne, but he has lifted up the humble because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. What an amazing portrait of God Mary has. It forces me to ask, I had to ask myself last week, what is my mental portrait of God? We all have a mental portrait of God in our minds. And the question is, does it conform to what Scripture says about God, or is it something else that we've made? Or is it something that's kind of small because our fears are so great? And once again, Mary leads us here because she's so fearless as a result of her great portrait of God. From memory, she says, God is my Savior. He's mindful of the humble. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He feeds the hungry with good things. He brings down rulers. He he cares for those who are hurting. He's merciful. He helps his servant Israel. He remembers all of his promises. Holy, holy, holy is his name. When you have a portrait of God like that, I'm telling you, your knees buckle a little bit. And the best that this world has to offer, the nasty things that this world throws at us, they just don't matter nearly as much when we have portraits of God like that. Like her life didn't become easy. She still had a hard engagement. She didn't have an easy marriage because there's no such thing as easy marriages. She didn't become upwardly mobile. She was still a poor peasant girl. She didn't move into an important city. She didn't have lots of movies and TV to relax with. She didn't get any of those desires met. But she had the promises of God. She had the character of God. And she was strong as a result of that. 
Let me share another example with you. One of the most um, vicious plagues in world history hit the Roman Empire in the third century. In fact, vicious plagues hit the Roman Empire in both the second and in the third century. First, there's one about 100 years after Jesus' life, and then another one about 200 years after Jesus' life. And the one in the third century was nicknamed the Plague of Cyprian because it was named after the Bishop Cyprian, who was the bishop out of Ethiopia in the Roman Empire. If you know your Roman Empire history, you know that the Roman Empire extended from Europe to North Africa through the Middle East, and there was bishops in different places for the early Christian church. And St. Cyprian was this wonderful, powerful Christian bishop, and the plague was named after him. Um, it's an interesting thing to be named after a man. But the plague was named after him because of the way he preached so valiantly, leading Christians on how to respond to the plague. And this plague decimated the Roman Empire, killing one-third of its inhabitants. One-third in a single plague. And St. Cyprian, out of Ethiopia, he preached valiantly again and again and again, telling Christians not to grieve for their Christian plague victims. N not to grieve for their dead. Why? Because they live in heaven. But instead, telling Christians to redouble their efforts to care for the living. And historians noted that Christians, heedless of danger, took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, and as Christians did three things. Number one, they cared for the sick, and they chose bonded community with one, in number, with one another. And number three, they offered a theology in which the plagues were not the work of angry deities, but the product of a broken creation in revolt of God. And Christians collectively said, fear not, and they went out and they served. And as they served, they survived at much higher rates than their pagan neighbors because they had purpose and meaning and they were caring for one another and there's a healing power to community. And as they served, slowly but surely in the third century, Christianity moved from a very, very small persecuted minority in the Roman Empire into the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. How did it happen? It wasn't politics. It wasn't power. It was fear of God. Followed by love of God. Followed by love for fellow man. And they said, I'm going to live for the kingdom. I'm not going to live for my little life. I'm going to live for the kingdom. Why? They were following Jesus. Like th think of these words from Jesus in Matthew 10. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. Okay, let me just stop there. I, I want you to go to Matthew 10 later on in your Bible today. Maybe right now. Go to Matthew 10 right now. And in the margin, write down these two words of Matthew 10, 28 and 29. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, which means people or disease. Mm. Don't be afraid of people or disease that can kill the body. Be afraid only of the one who is able to kill both body and soul in hell. 
Those are not my words. Okay, if those were my words, they wouldn't be worth two pennies. Those are the words of Jesus. Those are the words of Jesus. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can kill body and soul in hell. Like what? I'm amazed at the lack of reverence today. The lack of holy awe. At the lack of knee-buckling fear at the greatness of God. We should look at the cross regularly and then develop a mental portrait of God out of the cross and say, okay, there in the cross I see the love of God that God chose to give his only son to die for my sins, but he did so because he hates sin. He hates my sin. And he refused to look at my sin. And in his holiness, he wouldn't look at my sin. And so unless my sins are atoned for by one who is perfect, I got no shot. And so the, the holiness of God and the love of God kiss each other on the cross. And out of that, that's my portrait of God. And so I should, I should say, I don't want to displease God. I want to please God. In everything, I want to please God. And if I fail to please God, get on my knees and repent, and repent often, because he's holy, and he's, he's to be revered, he's awesome. Our knees should buckle in his presence. We, we, we come to Christmas unaware of the awesome holiness of God. And friends, if you fear God, if, if your knees buckle in his presence sometimes, if you have a portrait like Mary did, then you will stand strong with whatever this world has to offer. You fear God, but then you're stronger with anything that this world has to offer us. Again, Christians in previous centuries lived that. I'm not there. I'm not where those Christians in the third century were. I wish I was. I'm praying to get there. That's why I want to be there. And please don't send me an email, okay? I, I am not telling you not to be cautious. Save that email for someone else. If you've been around here the last several weeks, you know I'm not telling you don't be cautious. I believe in being cautious, okay? N- nor am I saying that you should not give up your preferences for the vulnerabilities of other people who have pre-existing conditions. I'm not saying that at all. You should talk, Christians should be the first ones to lay down their preferences for the needs of others. Christians should be the first ones to do that. But what I am saying, unquestionably, is what I have noticed across my Christian journey, which is when fear of man is really large, then fear of God tends to be small. And when fear of God is really large, then fear of man and fear of other things in this world tends to be pretty small. I want to react like Mary did. I am your servant, O Lord. May it be to me according to your word. Listen to the way Max Licato put it. Max Licato said this, if I fear rejection, maybe I value the approval of people a little too much. If I fear going broke, it could be that I love money too much. If I fear disease, maybe I love being healthy and comfortable too much. But if we fear God only, then we know that he holds eternity in his hands. 
And our eternity is safe in his hands. And if we fear God only, then we can see our fears for what they are. And then we can bring them to God. And we can pray through them. And we can say, God, I'm too fearful right now related to money. I'm too fearful right now related to health. I'm too fearful right now related to my independence. I'm too fearful right now related to politics. And our fears can become prayers. And as our fears become prayers, they become merely concerns as opposed to that which overwhelms us. I don't know about you, but I just don't want to be overwhelmed anymore by my fears. I want my fears to have their proper place to turn into simply concerns which I am able to pray through and surrender them to God and then have peace. Because peace has come, hasn't it? Emmanuel is here. Peace has come. God is with us. Emmanuel is here. And so we need not be overwhelmed by our fears. Let me just close with these words from King David once again. It's such a great, great passage to meditate on. Let's read this out loud from the screen, then we'll wrap up. It says this. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Isn't that great? Not if. When. When I am afraid, I have this choice like Mary did to take those fears and put them in my mind and put them on repeat. Rewind them and repeat them again. Rewind them and repeat them again and being overwhelmed by them. Or I can take those fears and I can put them into God's hand. I can put my trust in him. I can recognize that I need not fear any man. I need not fear any pestilence. I need not fear anything but God. And God says I can stand in him. I put my trust in you and therefore I'm not afraid. May a little 15-year-old girl, 2,000 years ago, may her valiance, may her courage show us away this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you don't have for us to be overwhelmed by our fears in this world. You would have for us to see them for what they are and then boldly and courageously move against them. Father, we thank you for all the wonderful examples we've already heard about, though, this morning of people who have confronted their fears and then have chose to keep on moving. Thank you for the way Steve and Kara are doing that. We thank you and we praise you for Mary's great example. Thank you for the amazing example of Christians from the second century and the third century to say nothing of Christians who did the same thing in the plagues of the Middle Ages. Thank you for examples of Christians I know of, people across this room who go above and beyond out of their way to serve for the kingdom of God and move beyond fear. Father, I think of uh, this beautiful verse that says, who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, yet who stoops down to look upon the heavens and the earth. 
And that's what you did at Christmas, Lord Jesus. No one is like the Lord our God. He sits enthroned on high. He is holy over all. And yet you, Lord Jesus, you chose to stoop down, to look upon us in our humble estate. We thank you, God, for the amazing way you did so through Mary. And we thank you, God, that you would stoop down to look on us wherever we are right now. And we thank you, God, that as we look to you, and we ask you to enlarge our portrait of the greatness of God, our fears will get smaller. May it be for all my friends in this room, would you diminish our fears as our portrait of the greatness of God gets greater.